0: So today is the, sorry, final message series of our summer message series, final one. And it's fitting that, for me at least, this series ends with the first movie I ever saw that really connected spirituality with the arts, this movie Wings of Desire. Now, one of the reasons I remember it so much is how much I loved it because I didn't expect I would like it at all. It was 1987, I was living in New York City, I was 17 years old, and a friend of mine who was more mature than me in all kinds of ways said, let's take the train downtown, let's go to the Joseph Papp Theater, and there's a bunch of cinemas there, and there's this uh, German movie playing there. And young, immature, burgeoning alcoholic that I was, I said, no, what I'd rather do with tonight is buy a bunch of six-packs and go hang out in Central Park, like we often did. And he said, no, no, you're going to like this. Let's go and do this. And so I listened to him. And what I saw in that theater, what I experienced with that movie, was one of those first realizations that through whimsy, through tragedy, through story, a sense of transcendence and intimacy could be brought together and put on screen intimacy and transcendence brought together for me that is the experience of spirituality now I got to tell you a couple years later I had a choice to make when I was in college was I going to be a religious studies major or was I going to be a film studies major the fact that you now see me here where I am doing what I am doing probably leads you to believe uh, that I chose the religious studies major you would be correct however being here getting to do what I do, means that I get to kind of point at that film studies major way that didn't get a chance to be. So, folks, thank you for that. This movie, Wings of Desire, is from Berlin, 1987, and it's about these two characters primarily, but not exclusively. They don't look like it. If you haven't seen the movie, they are angels who travel unseen, save or by children throughout the world of what was at that time a divided city. Damiel and Cassiel. The man on the right with the darker hair is Damiel. And he's going through something of an angelic crisis of conscience because he's not sure he wants to stay an angel anymore. Through his thousands of... Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of observing humanity. He's fallen in love with humanity. And particularly in this movie, he is falling in love with one person. And as he says to his friend, his partner, Cassiel, I'm getting tired of forever. I'm getting tired of eternity. I want the touch of the now. Of the real. And say in a beautiful way. As I think Damiel is talking about. Is that he wants to exchange the realm of pure spirit. Above it all. For something down to earth. That at least here at Wellsprings. We would call soul. There are all kinds of amazing scenes in this movie. Including this one. Which still to this day puts tears in my eyes when I see it. The man whose head is holding has a sense of a presence around him, but it's not like if you were to hold my head. You see, that man, unnamed, is a motorcycle driver who has just had an accident and is dying. And Daniel attends to him as this man lists in his mind all the things and all the people that he loved. I'll name just a few of them. The Far East, the Great North, the Wild West, the Great Bear Lake, the Mississippi Delta, Stromboli, the morning light, the child's eyes, the swim in the waterfall, the spots of the first drop of rain. It goes on and on and on. The sun, the bread, and the wine hopping around, Easter, the veins of leaves, the horizon, the light from the room in the garden, the night flight riding a bicycle with no hands, the beautiful stranger, my father, my mother, my wife, my child. It is a luminous, sad, beautiful scene. But if you haven't seen this movie, I want to encourage you to go and see it. I'm not going to ruin too much of it. It's a movie that was a hit on the indie international circuit, which means... About maybe, if we're going to take it on average, half half of one of you in this room has probably seen it. <laughs> and it's like 30 years old. But it is a lovely movie. And it's not all somber, it's not all black and white and gray. It's the opposite, in fact. It's actually whimsical, kind of magical, and funny. This is personified for, by me, for me, by this one character, Peter Falk, <laughs> who's in the movie. Playing his Columbo kind of character who's in Berlin to shoot a movie. And the thing we recognize about Peter Falk, and I think this makes sense, if you were a child of the 70s and watched a lot of Columbo as I did, that Peter Falk was actually an angel <laughs> who decided that he wanted to leave the realm of spirits and purity and eternity and forever and taste the experiences. Not just observe the experiences of what it's like to actually be alive. And perhaps because he was once an angel, you'll see him holding out his hand to Damiel. He senses that he's there. He's talking to him. He's encouraging him. I know you're wrestling with this. Go ahead, become human. I'm not encouraging anyone to smoke. Uh, But he's got this wonderful thing Peter Falk says, which seems like a very Peter Falk thing to say, you get to smoke cigarettes (laughs) and you get to have coffee and doing those things together. mm. (laughs) Almost makes me want to smoke cigarettes again. I'm not going to. This is the way the angels get in touch with human experience is they don't just witness. They listen the despair, the joy, the pain, the full spectrum of human life. And that is how Daniel eventually decides that he wants to become a human being. And he does, and the movie switches to color. And he falls in love and is gorgeous. It's all because he listens. All because he notices He pays attention, and he listens. In so many traditions, the aspect of what we call divinity is manifested through listening. The goddess of compassion, Kuan Yin in Buddhism, is translated as she who hears the cries of the world. In Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the three great religions of the book, you probably heard this said all the time in vernacular, I wonder if God hears my prayers. Now, whether this is something that's literal for you or whether it's something that's metaphorical or aspirational, whatever it is for you, I think it points at this truth. Listening brings the world fully to life. Just as Damiel experienced, it brings the world from black and white into full spectrum color. And for me, that's really important to recognize right now this isn't the new year, but it feels like a turning of the year, this Sunday of Labor Day. Life for me has already gotten busy. Someone coming in today asked me, how are you, how are you enjoying the end of your summer? And I'm like, I began my internship for ma- my master of social work two, week- two weeks ago, and I began school. And Wellsprings is about to bump up into two services, and our small groups are going to start within a month. My summer ended already. <laughs> and that's all right. Vacation time is done. I'm looking forward to this fall. And (laughs) if you are anything like me, you know that one of the costs of being busy or being busier or being busy again, that one of the first casualties of our busyness is our capacity to truly listen, to notice, and to pay attention And so maybe you want to make this vow with me today. Maybe. That as life gets busy or busier again, that we will commit even more to stopping and pausing and listening and paying attention. Because the casualty of the busy life is that we lose touch with life. And plaintively, we may ask ourselves... Or have other people ask, kind of like the old Verizon commercial, Can you hear me now? There's real deep heart in that. Can you hear me now? Can we hear each other now? This attentive capacity to listen makes all the difference in this life, whether we're going to come alive or sleepwalk. Now, sometimes we get to wake up because nature itself commands it. Sometimes an eclipse happens, you know, and we get to like look up hopefully with the these here and We're looking up safely, and it's just amazing. It's just awe-inspiring. I know how many of you, this is so meaningful for you. You post on Facebook, you talk to me about it, and I got to tell you, the day of the eclipse was the first day of my internship for my Master of Social Work program, and whenever the next eclipse is, I don't know, what's that, 8, 10 years, something like 2024, have these with you if you are in the midst of a first-time experience, because I got to tell you, I was the most popular person in the office on the first day of my internship, the phrase, Ken, you're the man, was uttered more than once (laughs) because everyone else forgot them, and I brought them, and that was a hell of a way to introduce myself to the fact that I was someone who noticed things that are important. (laughs) So many of us watched in awe. And then, of course, nature also can inspire, not just wonder and awe, but terror. So many of us, I'd say all of us paying attention to what's been happening in Houston, Hurricane Harvey and the aftermath and the seemingly unending rains, And there in your Order of Service today, if you're looking for another way to give, if you haven't already or you'd like to be able to give through our denomination, it supports folks who are Unitarian Universalists down there who are struggling and also is dedicated as well to serve communities that may be marginalized and not served by the more popular or well-known relief agencies. But here's the thing beyond that. When someone experiences a trauma... When someone has had something core to them, or a whole community has had something core to them, taken from them, one of the most powerful things we can do is simply listen. We can give, we can get involved, but to listen is so important. I mean, eclipses in some ways, as long as you have the right eyewear are easy, just look up. When someone or a whole community or a whole city or a whole part of a state has experienced a trauma, listening is let, lets people know when we have had, when you have had, when I have had something so important taken from us, when someone listens to us, something is validated and verified. That everything else can be taken from us. But the value of our experience that someone else listens to cannot be taken from us. This is one of the first things you learn in trauma training. Not to fix. Not to solve. Certainly not to tell people to get over it. But to listen. It's not a passive thing. It's a creative thing. It's a generative thing and a healing thing. This is uh, a doctor. Her name is Danielle Snyderman. And she works actually about only three miles away from where I live in Conshohocken. She works primarily in a retired community. She's a gerontologist. And she is working with people at the end of their lives, people who very often have to make very difficult and painful decisions about how they are going to take their leave from this life. She recognized a number of years ago, Danielle did, that simply helping people write the right decision, even if it was obviously medically the right decision, was not cutting it because it was still so difficult for people. And so what she did is she started interviewing her patients about who and what they loved. Not saying I'm going to put this on your chart, but just interviewing them, getting to know them. Getting to know what was most important to them. There were, what do you call them, nonagenarians? those people in your 90s. There was a couple that had been together for like 65 years or something, maybe even longer. And they were getting to the end. End of their relationship, as it turns out, the end of both of their lives pretty soon. And Dr. Snyderman was interviewing them. And uh, she has this wonderful story. Where um, a husband and wife were talking, these 90 something folks. They said, When we met, I was really bewitched by you, the guy said. He said, However, at that time, a phone call cost five cents and a letter, a postcard, cost three cents. So I decided to send you a letter to ask you if you wanted to go out with me. And his wife said, What, I wasn't worth five cents? And he said, no, all I had was three cents to my name. <laughs> it's these kinds of stories she got to see, and she gets to see over and over and over again. And so she tells an additional story about a couple who were coming to the end of their lives, one of whom one of the partners was really rapidly fading physically and also mentally. And she was talking to this person's spouse, who, I mean, I've read enough uh, uh, medical charts over the years. You know, if you wanted to diagnose this person, you could say that they were resistant, (laughs) noncompliant. But that's not what Dr. Snyderman heard. He heard someone who loved the person most in their life, who was fading out of this life, who needed to go to an assisted, stepped-up care facility. And because Dr. Snyderman had listened so deeply to who and what this person loved, the lack of compliance, the resistance, it faded. And so the doctor was able to help this couple together go into an assisted living facility. There's a school, uh, really a cultural commitment, of working with people who have experienced trauma called the Sanctuary Model that I know some of you know about. It was founded right here in Philadelphia by Dr. Sandra Bloom. And she said the switch when you're dealing with communities that have experienced high levels of trauma, of violence, of catastrophic poverty, of oppression. She said that the, 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 the switch that they found out was when they moved from one question to another. The traditional question is, What's wrong with you? (laughs) It's a question she said got asked all the time. What's wrong with you? Which is really how can I fix you? How can I take it away? Which might make me feel better about myself or less anxious. And Dr. Bloom said no. When they switched from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. That's when sanctuary was born. See, because if we ask someone what happened to you, they're not going to tell us necessarily what's wrong with uh, them. What they will tell us is what matters to them, who they are, their stories, and who they love. The title of this message comes from StoryCorps. You familiar with StoryCorps? It's beautiful, isn't it? Um, the little picture, if you go to the next couple slides there. Yeah, thanks. Um, there is a 20-minute version of the StoryCorps stories uh, that's animated. If you are looking for a really good, cleansing, purifying cry, watch this video. <laughs> the two people there, there's a couple, going to be Man and yes,ir Salem. Going to be Man had, a, had a, a brain injury. And she's doing okay, but for the fact that she can't remember short-term things very well. Like she and her boyfriend ran the New York City Marathon a couple years ago, and he would have to continuously remind her. We've only been running for 10 or 15 minutes when she wanted to quit. (laughs) He had her permission to lie to her as a way to motivate her. These are the kind of stories that are in this. Listening is an act of love. The guy who compiles all these says these words When you really listen to people they know their lives matter Maybe you've had that experience of being listened to Knowing that your life matters And our lives count I mentioned before my internship It's at an outpatient clinic With people in early recovery from substance use disorder And it's a lot of young people And being in your early 20s is tough enough for enough people. Add being in recovery from substance use disorder, add being a young 20-something, and these folks' lives are not easy. And it shows up as a kind of (laughs) unksiness, a kind of antsiness, a kind of inability to focus at times. I mean, you see it in their bodies. There's a lot of movement around and a real tough time settling in and settling down. This past week in one of our groups, the lead therapist and I, we led an exercise that invited the people in the group with a list of questions to simply listen to each other. And i got to tell you the most magical thing happened. It didn't surprise me, but it was still beautiful to see. That energy, of those 12 people, settled right down. And they spent 45 minutes just asking each other questions. Just listening. Love is made of countless acts of listening. Love is made of countless acts of listening. And I think you've listened to me enough today. Yeah, I'm ready to bring this to an end. But not before this. I'm going to end this service a little earlier than we would because I'm going to ask you to do something to practice listening with each other, maybe as a way to set an intention to keep that vow as life becomes busy or busier, or maybe life is becoming less busy, and it's just really good to listen, whatever our circumstances. I'm going to ask you to do this with each other. And you can turn to the person you know next, although actually I'm going to encourage you even more, turn to someone you don't know very well and ask each other these questions. Which character from a fairy tale would you be and why? Tell me about the happiest day, it doesn't have to be days, it can be day from your childhood. Tell me about the best concert you ever went to. You can take a picture of this if you want to. I'm asking you folks to do this. (laughs) We're also going to put it up after the service as well, too, if you want that reminder. Again, you can say no. I'm not going to check up on what 180 of you are here today or something. But I'm going to ask. Engage this practice. And don't get into a dialogue back and forth. Oh, I went to that concert too. That was amazing. Oh, we played best set list. And they, you know. Just allow one person to answer. And allow the next person to answer. No need to respond or agree. Resonate maybe. Thank each other. Help set that vow. To notice, to listen, to connect, and maybe to be amazed. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Spirit, we pray so often with our words, but I think those words only really have real deep speech of the heart. If they arise first out of listening, out of holding the space for what we don't know yet, love is made of countless acts of listening. May we commit to at least one of those acts today, allowing ourselves to recognize again the beauty, the sadness. The joy. And the lightness of this life. Someone said a long time ago. There's only one reason that angels can fly. It's that they take themselves lightly. Amen.